Good morning and welcome to another installment of Forest Works on Radio NL, Kamloops, 610 AM. We're the show that talks about all things forestry, the people, the stories, and the places of British Columbia's single largest industry. That's right, the forest industry. Logging, saw milling, pulp and paper, specialty wood products manufacturing like mass timber. These are just a few of the activities that we're talking about here at Forest Works. Tune in here Saturday mornings at 7 AM for the latest Forest Works report. I'm your host, Stuart Muir. If you want to know more about the Forest Works project, check out our website, forestworks.ca. There's also a Forest Works podcast. You can find it through your favorite podcast app. Forest Work is brought to you by Resource Works, looking at how responsible development of British Columbia's natural resources creates jobs and incomes throughout the province, both directly and indirectly, while maintaining a clean and healthy environment. Now, let's get to today's guests. Today, we're talking to Jeff Bromley and Brian Butler, who both support the forestry labor force here in BC. Good morning, Jeff and Brian. Good morning, Stuart. Morning, Stuart. Hey, Jeff is the elected chair of the United Steelworkers Wood Council. Based in the Kootenays today, he was born in Richmond. He grew up in Kimberley, started as an operator at the Elko Sawmill at age 25 before he got into advocacy for the USW, which he has been doing now for many years. Jeff, uh, how did you get into forestry? Quite simply, I took a six-month break when I was in university, and they said there was a three-month, about a six-month third shift being added to the mill, and that shift is still going. <laughs> so- and you never look back. I didn't. Brian Butler is president of the Vancouver Island USW, United Steelworkers Local, 1-1937. He's based in Duncan, and he looks after the interest of steelworkers in a number of industries, not just forestry, but he's got a big workforce contingent in the forest industry. Good morning, Brian. Hi, good morning, Stuart. Gentlemen, thanks for both of you coming on to Forest Works today. As you know, forestry is not just the biggest single industry in BC, accounting for 18% of the province's base economy. I can't count on how many communities depend on forestry. The true answer is, is probably all of them. But forestry is an is industry that feels like it's at the crossroads today. You know, several trends are converging. We've got the loss of manufacturing capacity around the province in forestry. It affects your members directly. There's political conflict facing the provincial government on issues like old growth. At the same time, more than ever, the world is looking for more and more low-carbon, sustainable wood products that are ethically harvested and and brought to market. BC has that in spades. Here we are. I mean, there's these different conflicting trends. I've got a question. Maybe I can start start with you, Jeff. You're with the, the Wood Council. You deal with so many issues to do with wood and lumber and forest. Let's start with the basics. How many people work in forestry in your group? What kind of jobs do they have? And what kind of incomes do they have, Jeff? Can you tell us about that in a nutshell? So BC in particular, we do represent uh, 11 local unions across the nation, uh, forestry-based unions, the former IWA unions that merged with the USW in Mm. 2004. So that we do have approximately 16,000 forestry workers across those 11 locals. But in BC, where the bulk of our uh, our membership is in the forestry sector, there is uh, approximately 12,000 unionized USW members in the uh, industry in British Columbia today. In terms of what they do, uh, it, it runs the gamut. We still, obviously, in Brian's local on the coast, we have uh, over 4,000 members in terms of, of have two, over two-thirds of his uh, local, I think, that is in the forest industry, whether it be harvesting or in manufacturing. That is a similar into the northern interior in BC, although in the, in, in the interiors of British Columbia, it is more centered around around the manufacturing portion in terms of the uh, many operations that we have in the north and the south, uh, running the gamut between plywood, laminated veneer lumber, obviously dimension lumber, right up to uh, uh, laminated uh, beams. And we have a structure lamb out of Penticton, out of the Glonal local. So it does run the gamut in terms of the uh, products that we produce. And you mentioned the mass timber, uh, all this manufacturing going on. 
We hear from Premier Horgan, John Horgan, about value added all the time. Where is that value added happening? Is mass timber an example of that? It's a very good example, but I think that it's it's now because mass timber seems to be the product of the, the darling product of the day in terms of coming out of the forest industry. It's certainly the future. We can build buildings up to twelve stories now, and I think that uh, you mentioned you talked about the the carbon sink that is our industry, and I think that we don't do a good enough job of, of squaring that circle and getting that message out that our industry is uh, is certainly industry of the future in terms of storing carbon, and, and mass timber is one of those products. But we laminated veneer lumber. Come on, we have an operation in Golden, just north of here, and in the Kootenays. Is a very large operation. It's been around for many years. In terms of, la- we have laminated veneer plywood too, which is a product, a very strengthened product, value-added product, among many others that is starting to come to uh, the forefront in our industry today. Thanks, Jeff. I, I just want to turn to Brian. Brian Butler, you're involved in the coastal industry, which is quite distinct from the interior. Can you tell us about the distinction? What's different about forestry on the British Columbia coast than from the interior? Well, on the coast, there's um, a myriad of different products than they have in the interior. The interior industry does does a lot more dimension lumber for the U.S. Uh, construction market, you know, two by four, two by six, uh, other laminated products, as Jeff mentioned. On the coast, there's a lot more specialty products with the products that we produce from the fiber basket that is it within the working forest. So, such as uh, you know, clear timber products, uh, products that are used for high-grade finishings in in homes, uh, appearance-grade products, to products uh, made from old-growth fibers such as uh, guitar tops and uh, other aspects that that sort of distinguish it from the interior, which is primarily uh, focused on the U.S. market, whereas the coastal has uh, a few more worldwide markets in the distinct products that we produce here. Mm-hmm. Brian, we've talked before at the Forest Works podcast, and we had a fascinating conversation about some of the different jobs. One thing I'd like to hear from you is what's changed since you got into the industry a few decades ago? For young people coming in now, what do they, they see that's different? What has changed in terms of the type of jobs, the technology, the way that work is done? That's maybe not what everyone pictures if they think of things how they used to be. Yeah, well, I can say when I started in the industry, um, you started in manufacturing, you were, you were on a green chain for a very long time, which is very difficult physical work. A lot of those have changed, uh, tech change in the industry. While it definitely reduced the number of jobs in the forest industry, it definitely kept industry competitive and changed a lot of the, the work to less physical work, more machine-centered work, work that uh, can be tolerated a lot more than could be with the uh, physical limitations or implications of, of generations past in the 70s and 80s. It's a, a much different industry, not just because of the jobs have changed, but also because of the the way we harvest, the way we manufacture products in, in a way that's uh, more beneficial to the environment and better for the industry and our markets abroad. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get into the context right now across BC because forestry is in the news it feels like for some of the wrong reasons we you know we're hearing about conflict from Ferry Creek which is a watershed on the southern part of Vancouver Island I'd like to get into those issues a little bit in a minute or so we'll come back to that after we have a quick break in terms of the big picture you know we we know that an industry like forestry that's almost one-fifth of the BC economy it's really important to overall it's not just people who work in it to benefit it's it's everybody if you're drawing on public services if you need to send your kids to school, 
forestry is paying for that school in part. If you're going to visit a doctor or the hospital, there's that that impact there. And and I know that the steelworkers spend a lot of time talking about these issues, trying to you know connect the dots for the public. What are some of the challenges in communicating about forestry so that everyone sees things as you see them? You know, it is becoming increasingly difficult with the rhetoric that is being spread through social media by certain groups that misstate facts and uh, we believe on purpose, uh, for the purposes of furthering their agenda and uh, creating conflict in workplaces to and in and in in the society to so that they can fundraise off it and perpetually continue what they're doing. We would definitely uh, love to be spending more of our time communicating with the general public about why the forest industry is a great industry to, to start in as a young person. It did for me when I started as an 18-year-old mm-hmm. out of high school. Unlike Jeff, I, I was going to uh, I, or I was going to uh, university out of school, but uh, took a year off to uh, earn some money and uh, determined through that year that the forest industry is a place that I, I like to work. And I would think that the young people growing up, there's lots of opportunity in this industry to get into it. It is a uh, an industry that you could start in and retire from because it uh, it has obviously good paying, sustainable wages, benefits, pension, you name it. A lot of that, I'll, I'll take a little bit of credit for our, for our organization in, in uh, raising those standards. But it is is a shame that today there are so many people making claims about our industry that are false that unfortunately turn some people off from join, joining the workforce and they really should look into the details because I think they'd find it a rewarding career. Yeah. And let's get into that in a minute uh, in more detail. Jeff, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've mentioned that the 12,000 workers in BC, the 11 union organizations uh, across the country that you work with, you, you must be on conference calls and Zooms with with your colleagues across the country. When they look at BC and the challenges, whether it's the pine beetle kill and the recovery from that, whether they look at some of the you know political conversations going on, what do they think about what's happening in BC? What do they tell you? Do they do they think it's just uh, it's going okay, or do they wonder whether things are off track in BC? Uh, I think they cock their head a little bit and kind of, you know, raise the eyebrow and, and wonder what, what the heck is going on. And, and all things being equal, I, I believe that the British Columbia has been the leader in the forest industry across the nation for the last, you know, half century or more. There are our members in uh, in Alberta, and I've been spending a lot of time in northern Saskatchewan doing some bargaining with Weyerhaeuser up in that mill, uh, up in Hudson Bay. And uh, we have members that are asking, like, because uh, there's some investment going on in, in northern Saskatchewan right now. I know they're, they're opening a new OSB plant. There's some upgrades to a couple of current mills. And so that's something we haven't heard a lot of lately in BC because of the uncertainty and the uncertainty with over log supply, the uncertainty over the environmental approach, the uncertainty over government's approach to the industry. And that's the the, the, the word of the day, uh, I think, uh, that you hear is the uncertainty around uh, our industry in, in British Columbia. And it certainly doesn't help things going forward in terms of trying to move the industry into the next phase of its, uh, mm-hmm. of its life. Yeah. We'll just take a quick pause here. I, I want to tell listeners that you're listening to Forest Works on Radio NL this morning. We're all things forestry. For more information, check out forestworks.ca. Listen to our podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. I'm your host, Stuart Muir. Today, I'm with Jeff Bromley, who chairs the Steelworkers Wood Council. I'm Brian Butler, president of USW1 1937 on Vancouver Island. Just before we paused, 
Brian, we were talking about the Ferry Creek and some of the impact. I'd like to get a little more detail on what some of the pressures are for your members. I mean, listeners have probably heard about what's happening in Ferry Creek, old growth. It's in the headlines. It's probably being picked up around the world. Anti-logging protesters have made it really tough for forest workers to get into their jobs. There's been a lot of physical provocations. There's dangerous work situations created for fallers. Even tree spiking, very dangerous stuff for your members. How has it come to this? Brian, what what is being felt by USW members who are going to work where they have additional risks in what can be in some jobs quite quite a you know safety intense occupation where you need to be watching everything all the time in order to stay safe? What feeling do you hear from the workers on this? Well, they're they're extremely frustrated by the actions of those that uh, you know. Everybody should have the right to legally protest. Uh, nobody's saying they shouldn't, but. These groups are breaking the law. They were breaking the law when there was an injunction in place. We hope there's another injunction in place because things are ramping up in these workplaces where these environmental groups have extremists within them that go to the point, as you noted, of spiking trees, which not only are danger if if a faller with his chainsaw were to hit a metal spike and have it back with his chainsaw, but if even if they didn't hit it if that tree goes into a mill and is manufactured and huge bandsaws hit a spike which can explode the blades which lead shrapnel around indiscriminately which you know there's been a history of of hitting hitting workers and uh, seriously injuring them even killing them they're chopping up helicopter landing pads where crews are are going out to to harvest uh, which is obviously dangerous for anybody riding in that helicopter, the pilot included, if their landing pad on the forest floor has been damaged and it's not, not noticed. They're strewing nails about, they're, they're blocking culverts to create, when the rains come, to create washouts of roads, which are dangerous for our members as well as the traveling public. So I even watched a video the other day of environmentalists jumping on the back of an excavator and wrestling with our members and tackling them as they were trying to do their work. Fallers who are is one of the is probably the most dangerous occupation in the industry as a handfaller. People by worksafe rules are not even allowed within two tree lengths of that faller. Yet these individuals are dressed up in camo and coming up behind fallers, surprising them, and even that uh, interruption could lead to significant injury, not just for our, our member but also those those that are allegedly protesting, although in a very extreme way. So. It's frustrating. It's one of the reasons we think an injunction, which has been reapplied for, we understand from Keel Jones, we hope gets a, a fair hearing in court because without an injunction, without the police presence, these people are taking extreme measures, which are at some point going to lead to some serious injury. And, and we hope nobody fatally injured, but it's it's scary out there what's going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like going to cite something. There was a protester who spent a few days in Ferry Creek, went back to where he lives in Chilliwack, and the local paper interviewed him. He related in this article that he was defending what he called the last intact stand of the old growth forest on Vancouver Island. So he went out there, he ran into a cut block where there was logging going on. It sounds like from what he described, he went in uh, shouting and screaming at these people, at, at loggers, and claims that he was he was surprised when they yelled back at him what what from the point of view of a logger so you've got some someone comes in suddenly shows up where you're working maybe in steep terrain you're you've got a chance out, out you're watching for all, all kinds of hazards that are there in the woods 
someone comes and runs at you screaming because he thinks that you're cutting down the last old growth tree out there. Let's try to sort this out. The first question is, is in fact, Fairy Creek, the last of the old growth. And once, I mean, what I, from what I see, there's not even any logging in Fairy Creek itself. But suppose this argument that the last old growth tree is somewhere out there around Fairy Creek and, and someone's about to cut it down. Maybe one of your members is about to do that. Is that true? No. I mean, that, that, that gets back to the issues about how the fault statements that get made. And they're using a, a, a tactic that was used in the U.S. in, in, in their politics in that if you repeat a lie enough, people start to believe it if there's nothing pushed back on it. And that's the situation here. Uh, Ferry Creek is uh, in that watershed is not in danger of being harvested. They've made a point of saying that it is going to be clear cut and that they are there to protect it. Not only is it, it was never in danger, it, the vast majority of it, I think over 80% of it is already protected and will never be harvested. But the, I think the small 13 hectares that were scheduled for, for logging, not all of which were, were old growth, were outside of the water catchment areas of that, of that watershed. Even at this point, there's a, a two-year moratorium put in place that the company is honoring from the Apachadat, Dididat, and Hoyat First Nations, who've asked these protesters to leave, yet they are still there protesting, pushing back and ignoring the First Nations' requests for them to, to leave, ignoring injunctions, endangering workers, all on the basis of data that is provably false. And it, again, it's not the last intact. As a matter of fact, if people knew the truth, the truth is, the amount of old growth in BC, on the, in coastal BC, is growing year over year. It is not being reduced. As a matter of fact, at the annual harvest rates we have right now, if you perpetually harvested that over the next 250 years, the amount of old growth in coastal BC would over double. That's with logging. Continuing the log, continuing the log old growth, it is because there are so many areas of this province that are already protected in parks the areas that aren't even old growth that are growing into old growth, the marginal sustainable amount of old growth that we're harvesting now, the amount of old growth is actually growing in this province, not reducing. But those facts can't seem to get out there, only the the stuff that they're spreading. Yeah, there seems to be a a reluctance for some in the media to get both sides of the story. I don't quite understand that. I'd like like to spend a, a moment on maybe what the solutions are. What can we offer up? In particular, what can USW and the Wood Council offer up by way of solutions in the, the last couple of minutes here? So I want to turn back to Jeff Bromley, who's chair of the Wood Council. I know that you are often bringing forward policy solutions. In this situation, Jeff, can you give us an insight into what Premier Horgan and, and his caucus and his cabinet in the BC NDP and the provincial government in Victoria, what can they do to get to a good outcome in all this? Quite frankly, not to be too blunt about it, we need to depoliticize the issue. And, and unfortunately, this is this is a criticism of our government right now in terms of in terms of uh, the amount of uh, politics that is being played, for lack of a word, behind a better word, behind this history, industry. Ryan's mentioned it many times about listening to the science rather than the emotion of the issue. And so, the, first off, we have do you need to get everybody at the table? And so, I'd I'd love to bring our policy point to the government as long as we're at the table. I'm sure there's many communities, there's First Nations, there is a myriad of groups of of, of interest groups that are impacted by these decisions that they're making in 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 Victoria or could be making in Victoria. And that they're not made in a vacuum, and they're not made at the behest of one part of the of the issue in terms of environmental eco terrorism, I call it. And and the second thing is that it's there's a real 
and I don't mean to be going back to this uh, this default argument. There's a real rural urban divide in this province in terms of the forest industry, all resource industry, in my opinion, but in my world, it's the forest industry in terms of what the forestry industry brings to the table and what the rural urban divide represents. And it seems like the, most of the votes, most of the people agreed are, are in the in the lower mainland, but there are the rest of us that we live in these resource communities and make our living at, and uh, we, we need to continue to do that. Well, I'm sure all those communities appreciate your work, Jeff. Uh, Brian, I'm going to give you the last word. Anything we need to add to get an understanding of this issue? Just that people need to uh, reach out to their elected representatives and, and let them know that forest industry is important to their communities. It is across the entire province. If you reach out to your uh, local representatives and, and urge them to uh, do the right thing, go by the science and, and use sound data and uh, bring everybody to the table and we won't go wrong. Terrific. Look, that's all we have time for today here at ForestWorks. Brian Butler, thanks for those last comments. Also, Jeff Bromley, thanks for coming on. This has been a very educative session today. Thanks for joining us. And I'm sure that uh, you will be hearing from people and those in, in Victoria will probably hear from some of the listeners today. Thanks for that message. We'll be back here next Saturday on ForestWorks. Look forward to seeing you then. Here's a few parting thoughts on Forestry in BC. We've been talking about old growth today in our interview. The old growth harvest is drawn from the forested land base, which is 57.2 million hectares. About 50,000 hectares of old growth is how much is harvested annually. It's a very small proportion. For every one tree harvested, three others are planted. 38,000 people work in this field. It contributes over $3.5 billion to the BC economy, one of the biggest drivers in our economy. Thanks for joining us today on ForestWorks.